0: and welcome to yet another one in our series of financial well-being podcasts my is David Lloyd and I'm here with the other two members of our terrific triumvirate Chris tell Thank us you. about yourself uh hello everybody I'm Chris Bard I wrote the financial well-being
1: book I used to own a company called Ovation Finance until I sold it to an employee ownership trust and now I help other companies to do the same Tomo who are you
2: I am are you? the producer of this wonderful podcast, although we realised it was really Tammy, uh, and the Chartered Financial Planner at the previously mentioned Ovation Finance. Fantastic. Chris, I'd just like to pick up on you just having said, and I believe you might have mentioned it
0: before, that you've recently sold your business to your employees. Well, not recently anymore, actually, over a year ago. Yeah, man. was it really? Yeah, no. um, so I see that in the news the week that this has been recorded, uh, Richer Sounds have gone, gone down a similar road. Yeah. Is it the, the same road or a similar no, road? No, exactly the same road, although with a
1: few more noughts. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, exactly the same thing, and the Arbon Animation and uh, Riverford Foods or other, other big names have been doing it recently. Uh, so it's the thing. I, I honestly. Believe that for the small business owner, a small, big—I don't know, 250 employees or owner managed businesses, that the sale to the employee ownership trust will be the standard route in 10 years' time. I genuinely believe it. The amount of interest that I've got in my consultancy and and companies I'm talking to and helping them choose their path is absolutely phenomenal.
2: It's it's, phone is ringing all the time. Seriously. So I got two tips. Tip number: If you're thinking about employee ownership or want to know more about it, tip number one. Speak to Chris, because this is what he does now. He's a prophet. He's a (laughs) seer. (laughs) And tip number two is get in touch with the Employee Ownership Association. ELA Employee Ownership Association. Because... I, for one, have had some great support from other people who are in those kind of organisations and there's a real good community and are willing to share lots of ideas. So, yeah, there you go. The
1: best thing to do is to go along to one of their regional meetings, but you need to be a member in order
2: to go along. But because
1: I've been introducing so many people to them, they've given a, a special dispensation. If somebody comes via me, then they can go for one for free. So if anybody wants to get in touch, it's chris at
0: theeternalbusiness.com, and I can effect an introduction. Right, well, that's good. A little bit of background for you there. So anything else happening of interest today, Chris? I notice you are wearing, even within your world of garish shirts, a particularly lurid one today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. um, Great radio, this, by the way. Yeah,
1: it's it's very flowery, isn't it? It's got me into a bit of trouble recently, this shirt, because... A recommendation for another podcast, for for you podcast listeners, is the horn section. Absolutely brilliant. Alex Horn and his band, it's a musical podcast, very, very funny. And they've been on, on tour. So I went to see them with the family. And of course, what you don't do at a comedy gig is you do not buy tickets on the front row, right? So I bought tickets for row two, in the middle. Unfortunately, when we got there, they'd extended the stage and taken row one out. <laughs> so we became the front row, and I'm sat literally looking straight up Alex Horn's nose. And he walks out, looks at me, and goes, right, look at that shirt. <laughs> Same shirt you're wearing today. Same shirt I'm wearing now. And I was picked on for the entire time. It was great fun, even to the to the extent that he got me to play the guitar. Um, this is at Bristol Old Vic, so uh, you can imagine my teenage kids were there. and I had a very proud moment, actually. I will just share this, because... Uh, he said to me, so Chris, you said, do you play the guitar? I said, Are you any good? My daughter said, yes, he is. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> is nice, <laughs> isn't it?
2: Oh, brilliant. Well, right, can I just to give some insight, imagine you've been asked to go to a fancy dress that is a wine themed and you're looking for the most ridiculous shirt you can wear <laughs> for fancy dress. That is what Chris is wearing on a Friday morning as his casual wear. So there you go. I just thought I'd drop that in. There's something else going on today. Is that right? Yes, there is. It's your birthday, birthday. Right. Oh. It is indeed.
0: Yes. Uh, on the day of recording, it is my 64th birthday. Wow. No. I know, unbelievable. You've done it the day of the 62 Have you day. done what? all the things
2: that the Beatles told you to do? Or uh, would no, have done? I
0: am still being needed. I'm still being fed. But there is, as yet, no sign of Vera, Chuck or Dave on the horizon. But as far so, as you know.
2: Well, as far as I know, yes. Well, I have a special treat for you today. All the way from the real producer, Tammy... <laughs> It makes me sound like I do nothing. Well, no, no. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> she has lovingly baked, and we'll send t- a, a picture on Twitter, of oh my some Lord. cupcakes for your birthday. Once oh, yeah. yeah, again, fantastic
0: radio. Let me try and describe <laughs> these to you.
2: Would you like um, to eat one loudly
0: into the microphone? Would bro, that? So, oh, God, mm, actually, that's very nice. That's got a, like a, oh, it's like a ginger cake. Mm, Oh, that's really nice. She is a superb baker. I'm just going to take one bite for now, but let me just describe them. So they've got this lovely little gingery cupcake. It's got butter icing in the shape of like a rose, like a, a white rose. And on top of that, there's lots of little golden hundreds and thousands, little balls and spheres and some silver bars and little stars. My word, that is a work of culinary genius. Thank you very much. Real producer Tammy, that is absolutely you know, wonderful.
2: I feel like TMS right now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone that's who so listens to TMS, yes. they always get some cakes rolled in. Yeah. Some of those sort of, well, maybe this could postings. be the new theme. Maybe every podcast
1: we can have a cake that's been brought in by a listener. Although, actually, I'd rather go for scotch eggs if, they, if anybody
2: would <laughs> like sausage rolls, yeah, sausage yeah. rolls yeah. pork pie, yes. yes. yeah,
0: pasty. Right, I shall devour those cakes in due course, right? But but anyway, I'm
2: sure everyone's dropping off now. We, yeah, ought yeah, we ought probably to... ought to
0: get on with the podcast, don't we? So, what What are we talking about today Chris? Okay so today is the third and
1: final part of our three-part series on retirement. Uh, We've looked in the first part of what to do to get ready for the day of stopping work and then in the second part of what to do when the day comes. We've tried along the way to emphasize there isn't really necessarily a day as such and that retirement really means a time when one stops working because you have to to working because you want to which is the key phrase, I think. So now we're going to have a chat today about the principles of money and happiness in a time when you're uh, decumulating your money, you're, you're taking money out rather than putting it in. Excellent.
0: But before we do that, let's just go with a uh, couple of our regular features that we like to squeeze in before the main chat. So, Tom, have you got any of the typical questions that have been sent
2: into Ovation Finance for us this week? I do. Um, I've got one that comes up quite often when we first meet um, people and... It's, I think it's quite relevant to this to this retirement series. And somebody has asked, what is a GAR? Now, bear with me on this. It's French for station. <laughs> is it really? Mm. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, answered. So, um, next section, please. Uh, <laughs> so, they often come and see us and we have a chat about various things, what they want to do, what their objectives are. And then they go, I've got this pension statement from whatever provider it might be. And it says, I've got a GAR, G-A-R. What on earth does that mean? And what it means is guaranteed annuity rates. And this is something that feeds into an area, of sort of a wider description of things that are in pensions that really need to be looked at carefully, and they're called safe guarded benefits. And one of those is a guaranteed annuity rate. And back in the day, to get your business, providers used to go, right, do you know what? We're gonna offer you a certain annuity rate when you retire, guaranteed, but of course, Back then, annuity rates were so high that they, they never thought it would be a problem. They thought that would be the same as what you could get from down the road. Well, actually, it turns out these annuity rates are far higher than you could get, usually. You know, I've seen some well in, in excess of 10%. Um, so you give you some money to the insurer and then they give you 10% return for the rest of your life. Very good deal. So really need to look at, look at your pensions carefully before you do anything with them. And uh, Tom, does every pension have a GAR? No, certainly not. Um, Usually some of the older schemes. But it's always worth asking the question, are there any safeguarded benefits? Because there might also be things like guaranteed minimum pensions they need to provide. Slightly different to a GAR, but same principle. And sometimes some higher tax free cash than you'd usually be able to get. So, these are questions you should certainly ask before doing anything with them. I and mean, presumably, your financial advisor will know yeah, and be asking automatically, automatically. Yeah, so absolutely. It's only
1: if you're doing this yourself, you need to make sure you ask the a- Absolutely. Questions. And if you
2: are doing it yourself,
0: why are you? <laughs> why have you got yourself a <laughs> decent financial well, advisor? Well, actually,
2: interestingly, if they do have these safeguarded benefits, if the pot is worth more than 30,000, they have to, by law, seek advice before they're able to move it away from that particular pension. <laughs> All right, thank you for that. That's very useful. Right, now, of course,
0: we're coming to, I think, everybody's favourite moment, Titus Tomo. He has become a legend in his own cheap lunchtime. <laughs> uh, the man that took Chris and a colleague out to lunch encouraged them... We still to are out right to, to lunch, actually. Yeah, he encouraged them <laughs> to have a particular meal, which, lo and behold, was what he just happened to have a voucher for. It was a very nice meal and also a very cheap one. Ever since then, each time we do one of these financial well-being podcasts... Titus Tomo comes up with another one of his tips. So there's
1: an interesting philosophical point there, David, that has Tomo done one thing which has then caused a reputation?
0: Or did that one thing reveal his true nature? Well, that is an interesting philosophical debate. It's not one I think we should perhaps pursue now. Not with him in
2: the room, maybe. Not with him in the room, yeah. But when we've had a few beers later on... That I won't be paying for.
1: (laughs) Well, I've got one this week that I'd like to just quickly run past you. We mentioned this in the Financial Wellbeing book, and then I'd like to just expand upon it a bit, which is don't go shopping in the supermarket when you are hungry. The... Gretchen Swanton Center for Nutrition in Nebraska, that world-renowned institution, uh, did a study which proves that we buy, not only buy more food, but we buy food of a lower nutritional value when we are hungry. So even if you just eat a piece of fruit or uh, you chew some chewing gum as you go around the supermarket while shopping,
0: will save you money and improve your diet. Sounds like a pretty good tip to me. Healthy and makes you healthy and wealthy. (laughs) Right, oh master,
2: educate us. (laughs) <laughs> well I recently have uh, just come back from a trip to Venice um, that's not the time, that's Tom the, the tip oh well you know spend your money on experiences I really really enjoyed it but it's actually about the duty free area so if you're a lady or, or a man sometimes going <laughs> to be someone, one or the other probably yeah, you see where uh, I'm going with this. gender fluid that's years, true. That's yeah. not oh, I did put really the probably so. in quickly yeah. Just us <laughs> do don't put any makeup on before you go to the airport <laughs> where this is going um, or perfume or aftershave <laughs> because there's a wonderful array of testers available in the duty-free section for you to put on brilliant oh, that is very very That's true a cracker.
0: i know it's very very true so whenever gail and i go abroad somewhere and the minute we're walking through the duty-free section i mean is, is it still actually duty-free because you don't no, it's duty not. anyway. No, it's it's not. the cheap section. Mm. It's not, it's more expensive. <laughs> yes. We're assailed with the wafts of various perfumes, and, uh, and invariably, uh, one of them is nearly always bought.
2: It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. I, I come out of it smelling like I was when I was a teenager, spraying every aftershave I could find. It's great, <laughs> get my money's worth. A bit of Joe Malone.
0: Right, okay, enough of the uh, terrible attempts at product placement. Chris. Okay, so today's subject
1: is going to be all about uh, retirement, uh, taking money out and enjoying your life. Now, I think we've got to stress that retirement, again, is not about stopping work and sitting down on a sofa and vegetating. You know, it's about having options in life. So that's it doesn't have to be for old people. We're really talking about having options in life.
0: Right. So today's subject, actually, one more than most others in this series, is is increasingly close to my heart. <laughs> well, I think you're a man who squeezes every
1: ounce of well-being out of his life, David, and it's his, is his semi-retirement, even if I'm not sure we can call it that. Uh, maybe we should just hand this podcast over to you.
0: Well, yeah, semi-retirement. I mean, I am at the moment, I've just completed my seventeenth episode of Doctors. I'm currently writing a, a a stage musical for the West End. I'm writing a novel. I've got two teaching jobs I'm doing various MCing jobs and, and sort of public speaking events, including the Financial Wellbeing Conference. So uh, the, the notion that I might in any way be retired is news <laughs> to me.
1: <laughs> well, that, that's kind of the point, because... Uh, it's about working because you want to, not because you have to. You you can choose which jobs you take, and thank you for taking the Financial Wellbeing Conference <laughs> hosting job, um, and uh, presumably you are choosing ones that you enjoy, because all of those things that you've just said sound absolutely fascinating.
0: Indeed, and and, and I have always been lucky in, in the work that I do, in that it is by and large work that I do enjoy, uh, and I guess that is to some extent a choice, but there is also still a financial imperative. I'm not quite at the stage yet where I can just go, well, I'll turn that job down and... I'll just do that one because I still do need to earn money. Mm. But but I certainly am in a position where I'm very fortunate in that, by and large, I enjoy the work that I do. So Tomo's going to comment
1: a bit later on some of the technical aspects of the decumulation phase um, with investments and pensions, et cetera. But first, uh, I'd like to just look at some of the principles of financial well-being and see how they might apply to this period of being able to choose, to some degree or another, to what each day holds.
0: Now, this might astonish you, but actually in anticipation of this podcast, uh, rather than just turning up on the day, I actually did a little bit of research of my own.
2: You were bored at home and using Google again, weren't you? <laughs> I
0: was indeed, yes. <laughs> uh, and I've been browsing that there in the web, which is fascinating. And uh, what a load of old tosh I found. But, <laughs> but we won't go into that. Uh, but one website, The Motley Fool, uh, ran an article on what to do if you're bored in retirement. And this was aimed, I think, at an American audience, but I I don't know whether it would apply to uh, British people as well. But a couple of the tips they had was to set up your own business, which seems to me a a bit of an ambitious thing to do when you're just stopping work, uh, unless it's something that you know a lot about. Or also suggest that you become a landlord.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say boredom is most certainly not a good reason for buying a property and renting it out let alone setting up a business. By all means, if there is this sense of purpose in it, absolutely go for it. But for boredom's sake, you know, you're getting into what is quite a quite a hands-on um, and involved process that... The big commitment. A big commitment that could actually be causing you stress and, and, and actually cause you issues in retirement. Yeah,
0: it's certainly not the sort of thing. I mean, I've always been very active. I've always enjoyed being busy. And when the time comes when I actually do retire, if that time ever does come... I will still want to be active, but I can't imagine that I would want to take on something that would cause me that level of of stress. So I want to make a point here about not just that website, but other websites that
1: um, are money-focused websites, and the advice they give is how to make more money. Well, in retirement, it's not the idea to be making more money at that point. The whole point of these podcasts, the book, and the whole financial well-being stuff we do is to stop just thinking about making money and think about enjoying life and what makes you
0: happy. Exactly. I cannot wait until I don't have to make money anymore. Yeah. I cannot wait to wake up and go, oh, I just oh, I think I'll just watch the cricket today. You know, so
2: because... If I just jump in here, and that's the point. If, if you don't need to make the money, just doing it because you're bored goes counter to everything exactly, we should doing. Exactly, exactly. I, I would caveat that, you know, if you actually need to go out and make money, I understand that these these possibilities need to be explored, but just for the sake of making money because you're bored, I'm, I'm not sure that's really, really tying into that's, anything That's what all.
0: That's what bugs me about that, yes. If you're bored, go and make money. No, if you're bored, go and find purpose. Exactly, find purpose, find something you, you're going to enjoy doing. There's a quote by somebody called Eden Philpott, the people sensible enough to give good advice are usually sensible enough to give none. That's it's a great line. line. So Lovely. on that basis, I shall shut up and yeah. say no more.
2: A <laughs> uh, caveat. Unless they're well-experienced and qualified people to give said advice, <laughs> such as us sitting Obviously,
0: Tomo is the exception. Ignore anything Chris and I say, but Tomo is <laughs> thanks for Other deities are available. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: let's, let's stick to theories, OK? Um, and the most important theory here is that our social relationships... Are the biggest contributor to our levels of well-being. Now, in previous podcasts, I've quoted a Harvard study, and if anybody hasn't done it yet, go on to YouTube, type in "Harvard study on happiness," and it's just the most fascinating watch. Um, in this study, which followed a cohort of people through their entire lives, um, and at the, a young age, they predicted that money and fame would make them happy, but the reality was that it was the quality of their social interactions that impacted greatest on well-being even to the extent that those who reported loneliness tended to die earlier. So the thing about leaving work is that we leave behind those daily interactions with work colleagues. So whilst many people will enter into their retirement thinking about bucket lists and travel and these sorts of things, which is great, but the longer term plan should involve how to replace those social relationships.
0: I think that's true. I think we hear many cases of people whose whose world has been their work um, and they've been driven by their job and they go to work and that's what they've done and then they stop work and they literally do not know what to do with their time anymore they perhaps have this imagination that tells them they're going to go off and play golf or anything but without the structure that work has brought to their lives quite mm. often many people just kind of go to pieces a little bit yeah. so yeah. i think I mean, as i say as i've been self-employed pretty much all my life um I'm used to the variety. I'm used to the planning. But the other thing is that for me, and it just goes back to something we were talking about before, because I don't get paid holidays or sick pay or any of that, I am driven by work in a way that even if I'm, you know, relaxing as I've missed it this week, unfortunately. In the past, I've, I've gone to like one-day cricket internationals or test matches with you, Chris, and we've been sitting there on a Tuesday afternoon watching the cricket, having a beer. There's always a little voice at the back of my mind saying, you should be working now. And I have that at weekends as well. It's, you should be working now because actually, if I'm not working, I'm not earning money. So let's underline
1: the challenge. Then, is perhaps in retirement, then you can still work. No one's saying you stop work. That's yeah.
0: entirely the point. But it's work for purpose, exactly, than money. and it's the voice that said. What I want to do is replace that voice with a, uh, with another voice that said, "You don't have to work because you've got enough money," mm. and and then that means the things that I then go off and do are things that I want to do and will enjoy doing so
1: listeners tune in and uh, we'll see how david comes on with that, <laughs> that <laughs> process over the, over the coming years <laughs> exactly but
2: i'll go back to episode 47 which was the first in this retirement series which was all about planning for that time where you might not be working anymore and getting some irons in the fire we talked about picking up things that give you a sense of purpose how are you going to fill your day start getting involved in hobbies or things you enjoy doing because that may well mean that you stop working and you step straight away into something that you're used to already. You're involved in, it might be a club, it might be the golf course if you've got a good good set of friends there already. It might be volunteer work, but it's maybe look to put that into your life already so you're easily transitioning over to it. You just have more time to do it.
1: And I've had this recently having sold ovation or majority of ovation and I'm still working and I'm still the internal business consultancy uh, helping people, but I'm doing most of it from my cabin at home and having those social interactions of things that I've been doing, like the cricket and various other things, this financial wellbeing stuff, it's been really, really important to keep me sane, quite frankly, well, yeah, otherwise absolutely. I wouldn't be speaking to anybody
0: during the day. And I found that as well as somebody that spends a lot of time in my in my cabin, which is a you know my study and... and and there are times when I just crave the need to go out and have some social interaction with people. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people that have worked in a more formal work setting and are used to having people around, the shock of suddenly having those people not there, you know, can be quite, quite severe. Yeah, I
1: haven't quite got to the stage of going down to the supermarket so I can talk to the cashier. It illustrates the point. So social relationships are the most important thing about uh, that are contributed to well-being. Uh, there's a book that I quote often uh, by Gallup called Wellbeing. Uh, it was kind of the starting point for me of a lot of this stuff, along with the Penny Bron Cancer Centre. And in it, the authors bring together a huge amount of Gallup polls and studies to draw many conclusions about what make us happy. And that one interesting point draws a connection between relationships and our health. And I just wanted to quote one study that I thought you'd like, which is they gave 42 married couples a small wound and timed how long it took for the wound to heal. And they found that it took twice as long for the wounds to heal in couples who had reported hostility in their relationships. (laughs) So we actually um, are unhealthy in our physical bodies if we have unhealthy relationships. An actual wound. Yes. That Not actually, just like a, like a wound
2: in their relationships. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. no. They pain. actually
1: put a cut on their arm or something yeah. and then timed how long it would take to heal. And those who were in an unhappy married relationship, their wounds took twice as long to heal as those who were in a happy
2: married relationship. Is that to do with stress and immune system and all that? I guess that's feeds so. back to the Penny Brawn Feedback the, the Penny Brawn,
1: uh, the work that they do about how uh, mindfulness and all that, you know, looking after your mind as well as your body helps you to... Um, live well with cancer to use their phrase
2: so i guess the moral there is is well being comes or getting well being comes in many forms social financial there are all various ways Absolutely. to try and reduce this but the thing. most
1: important one is social and therefore our money should feed our social relationships good That's point the well made thing. so I realise this this might have turned into an episode about how to have friends, but (laughs) that's because this is the biggest contributor to well-being. So it can also be one of the hardest things to keep up over time in retirement. Good point, Chris. So let's turn now to how our money can help with this. Well, the first conclusion is that when you find yourself with times on your hand in retirement, don't spend that time working on your finances or don't start managing your own money because you've got nothing else to do. This will not bring you well-being. Spend that newly free time on building your social relationships instead.
2: Yeah, we, we had uh, an example at Ovations. We knew, well, we knew a widow of a chap who, when he retired, he spent his days in his study just managing his finances for him and his wife. You know, when he died, she, came, you know, she became a client and we investigated their financial affairs, uh, which she knew very little about. When we had the meeting to advise her that she had been left of, you know, a lot of money and she was a very wealthy woman, she was actually quite furious. You know, Those seven or so years of his retirement could have been spent having nice holidays with the kids and grandchildren. And instead, he spent it in his time cooped up in a little room playing with his investments. And and actually, another point to this is that's a sad story, but... I'd say whenever you're planning your finances, involve your other half. You know, we talk about social relationships that include your partner, because they will have hopes and dreams. I, I so many times, which can can I just come along? My wife's not going to come along with me, and I could try and just almost don't want to engage in that kind of relationship because you need both of you in the room.
0: Absolutely, I know from experience that you know the joint discussion of financial affairs is absolutely crucial. You know, to keeping a relationship alive when my late wife died, and actually we were we were pretty good with money and we had these conversations about things. When she died, though, I did discover that she had an, a, an ISA for uh, seven £8,000, I think, that I knew absolutely nothing about, money that she'd had tucked away for I don't know what sort of a rainy day. So uh, my son and I decided we'd, uh, in her memory, spend it on having a really nice holiday, <laughs> and, uh, and we did. Yeah, and, part, and part of me, the sensible side of me, I said to Nick, I said, um, should we um I ought to put this in my pension really, or we could have a really nice holiday. You can guess what he went for. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so let's finish off the podcast then with some tips from
2: a chartered financial planner about retirement. Tomo, over to you, sir. Crikey, there is a build-up, isn't it? Well, the first and most important tip is to know how much you've got available to spend by way of a cash flow forecast. Now we spent a bit of time talking about this in the second part of this series, episode forty-nine about really understanding what you've built up, what incomes are coming in. And actually, we've got a, a spreadsheet that might help you with this. Um, it's on the Financial well-being website. Uh, but we use some software innovation that goes into quite a lot of detail on this. And it's really important to look at that when you start retirement, when you have retired. And every review meeting, you really need to be looking at it and planning forward because things change. Life, life has a re- really uh, funny habit of Throwing curve, but was at you.
0: Life, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Exactly, but that life. is, but that is so true. And uh, um, without bigging up aversion too much, you know. No, no, do, do, do. All right, then. Aversion great, <laughs> uh, but that's exactly what I did. I think ten years ago, I sat down initially uh, and started looking at uh, this predicted spreadsheet. And each time I come in for a review, and I'm due one with you soon, tomorrow right. and we'll sit down and we'll look at it again. But actually, as you said, your life changes people in your life come and go money comes money goes and and actually nothing is always exactly as you predicted that it might be I mean often it's better but it's not always and it's good to just keep having that reality check every year so I would as a user as somebody that is contemplating coming up to retirement I would absolutely back that up having that financial forecast is essential to me, understanding and having a degree of peace of mind about how my life is likely
2: to unfold over the next 20 or 30 years. Completely agree. And and do you know what? When somebody is at that point where they have retired and they are spending what they've saved up, it is more crucial than ever to really keep going back and looking at it because really we want to try and protect people from running out of money.
1: I would even go as far as to suggest that anybody who um, has a financial advisor who doesn't do cash flow forecasting with them to be honest, they might want to consider changing to a financial advisor that does. Financial advice without cash flow these days, I think, is like having a car without a sat-nav. Very
2: Absolutely. good analogy. Absolutely. You know, the point of the forecast is to show you what's possible. You know, there are assumptions built in, which again reinforces why we need to need to go back to it each year. But it's going to tell you things such as, what have you actually spent in the last year? Are you spending more? You give you an opportunity to sit down and talk about what's still important to you because that may change. Um, as I said, life changes, and if something is more important to you or less important to you, does that change the amount you need to spend? And um, do you know what, Tom, I
1: really stress that point because just something's occurred to me. What you just said then that what have you spent in the last year? Well, while you're earning, you always know that you're going to earn some more to replace what you've just mm-hmm. spent. But when you're not earning anymore and you can't top that pot up you suddenly become a lot more conscious about how much you've spent. And as a consequence, you tend to not spend as much as you can. Well, that can be the danger, you know. So I've known a lot of people in retirement who never look at their bank account are suddenly taking quite a lot of
2: interest in their bank account. A really important point that comes up quite often is when you're in retirement, uh, Chris alluded to it, when you're in retirement, you're worried about running out of money and actually not spending enough. So when you... Go back, review what you're spending. If you really have got enough money and you're restricting yourself unnecessarily, it's important that you get that nudge to, to spend and enjoy life. I see it time and time again, that transition from accumulating money to spending the money that you've, that you've built up is just encourage people to spend a bit more. Um, more often than not, that comes up, actually. And we don't want people to die with too much. If I could just give some key things to think about you know, we have this say in innovation, and a bit tongue in cheek, but actually we mean it. Is we're going to see you at least once a year, if you like it or not, because there are a few things that you really need to keep an eye on. Number one, have your objective changed? Is what's important to you changed? Number two, how much money have you got left? You know, have your investments gone up or down? Number three, how much do you need? How much you need to spend? What income do you need? Have there been changes in legislation, such as tax? you know, that might be opportunities to be able to draw a bit more or you might need to be a bit careful, you might be paying a bit more tax. And finally, it might well be that we need to tweak the investments that that are underneath there to make sure it works. And actually, it's not final, because if you've got a pension, there is one thing that you should really think about is when you're drawing down, let's say you're drawing down in income drawdown, we've talked about this before, is now the right time to buy an annuity? Things like this really need to be considered at the review meetings to make sure that your money is still doing what it should do for you. It is not a one-off exercise when you hit retirement.
1: So having control of daily finances is one of the five main components of financial well-being. And we often interpret this as how not to go into debt and how to save more money. But in this instance, we're talking about making sure you spend what you're able to to maximise the fun you have in retirement.
0: Exactly. And on that upbeat note, we've covered an awful lot today, actually, and perhaps gone off at tangents occasionally, but it's been a very interesting discussion. I hope you at home have got something out of it as well. And that, of course, you'll join us next time we do another one of these financial well-being podcasts. If you
1: want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at finwellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris. And David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think.